I was at a uh, gas station recently, and I walked in, and I don't know if you know to go to some of those gas stations, places, and they've got things up on the wall, and uh, signifying when somebody wants to donate a dollar or something, and so I got in line, and there's just one line, and there's like six people, and there's another register over there, and the other lady was out doing some stuff, and she came around real quick to get in line and to open up that register, and she said, next in line, please, and so I'm about four people back, and I'm sitting there going, okay, one, two. You're next in line. You should be going. And nobody's moving. Next in line, please. I'm going, that's you. you know, I just don't want to say that. You ever been there before? You just want to help people? Okay? And finally, the guy in front of me goes, well, they're not going to go. So he went. So I just, I'm right behind you, buddy. So I, you know, I went, we got over here, and this guy gets up the counter. And, and we've been hearing this spiel for the last two or three people. Hey, would you like to donate a dollar to the children's hospital? And you get a, uh, a gift card. You have a chance to win a $50 gift card. And so we've been hearing this over and over and over. So he steps up, and right away the lady gives the spiel. Would you like to donate a dollar to uh, the hospital to, for the children? And uh, you can win a gift card. And he goes, I don't drive. Well, it's, it's not just a gas card. You can get anything in the store that you want. It's for the children. He goes, I hate children. <laughs> I've had him going, what? The lady at the counter, she's like, okay. Here's your change. And he sort of heads out the door. I'm sitting there going, wow. And then she comes up to me and she goes, and I looked at her and I said, would you like to donate a dollar to FCA? No, I didn't do that. I always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do that because everybody's always asking me for a dollar. I'd like to ask them for a dollar. But anyway, she looked at me and she's like, we were both speechless like, yeah, somebody's having a bad day. You ever have one of those days where it's like, I don't drive and I don't like children. I hope you're not having that kind of a day, okay? Uh, but he was, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, you look at our lives, and it happens often, maybe not daily, hopefully, you know, not weekly, you know, but sometimes, sometimes it's like a flood, and sometimes it's like a sprinkle, but we have bad days, don't we? We get bad news. It's something disappointing, something frustrating. Maybe it's an injustice. You saw something happen, you sit there saying, I can't believe that just took place. How could that ever happen? How could that ever be? And, you know, I can be on the road, I can be in my office, I can be at home, I can be at, at a school, it doesn't matter. Location is never an issue for bad news, is it? It's like real estate, right? What they say about real estate, location, 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 it's the same thing with bad news. It comes at anywhere, at any point. And what do you say? What do you think? How do you confront life when unwelcome news shows up? Max Lucado says this, you'll get through this. It won't be painless, it won't be quick, but God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. How can Max write that? He gets paid to, right? He's got all kinds of books, and he's a pastor, and he's, he's a radio show, he's got probably a TV stuff going on. So he probably gets paid good to say that, right? He can say that because he's been through that. He can say that because he's discovered truth. And so this morning, I can say the same thing to you because I've discovered some of those same things, that it will be okay, but it is tough. You'll get through this. It won't be painless, and it won't be quick, but God will use this mess for good. So I want to take you through that this morning. Actually, through the next five or six weeks, we're just going to talk about how you get through tough times. And we're going to talk about various factors with that. And we're going to do this by looking at the life of one Bible character. 
And uh, he's actually been compared to Jesus a lot, so, but it's Old Testament. So we're going to go back to the book of Genesis chapter 37 and look at the life of Joseph. And uh, so if you would, open up your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 37. It's the first book in the Bible, right past the concordance. You go to Genesis chapter 37. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Genesis chapter 37. And as you're turning there, uh, there's always been great Bible characters that I love focusing on. Moses is one of my favorites uh, that I like looking at. Um, and there's even uh, the book of um, Esther and is, is really interesting. But when you look at some of some, go back a little further, go to Joseph. Um, some really incredible things here. And, and this is how it sort of starts. He's a 17-year-old. Now, I know we have some 17-year-olds in here, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, <clears throat> how do we learn to get through things? How do we face defeat victoriously from a 17-year-old? Ask any 17-year-old, how's life going for you? What are you facing? What's happening in your life right now? I'm sure it can go all over the place. But we're going to look at this 17-year-old boy named Joseph. So read with me, Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Let me hear you say, he's a tattletale. Yep. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than, let me hear you say more than, because this is going to be an issue. He loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Joseph had a special gift made for Joseph. Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph more. Why? Because his father loved him more than the rest of them. But they couldn't say a kind word to him. Let's stop right there. James Boyce, now I love looking at what different authors say about uh, Joseph. James Boyce said this, thus begins one of the most remarkable life stories in the Bible in all literature. He was loved and hated. He was favored and abused. He was tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the 110 year life of Joseph did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust God. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as in public. He was truly a great man. That's what James Boyce said. I think about that. Joseph was truly a great man, but was it always great for him? Was he always living the dream, so to say? Now, I, refer, I reference something in, in uh, chapter, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 3. Take a look at it again. Look at bit, bit verse 3. It says that Jacob loved Joseph more than, I asked you to underline or repeat that. You can underline, you can highlight it. But look what it said, more than his children. I mean, these words stand out from insight that they give us uh, into an obviously frustrated family situation, a troubled family. Here's the deal. Jacob had two wives. First one was uh, I'm sorry, Leah and Rachel. And the one he really loved was Rachel. But when she died, Jacob's love for her was sort of seen how he treated Joseph. 
their firstborn. See, he was the 11th son, but he was their firstborn. And Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph is obviously a source of a conflict in the family. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how it worked in your family. How many of you have siblings? Why don't you raise your hand if you've got a sibling? Some of you have siblings. Okay, all of you have siblings. Good, come down. Jacob's favoritism <clears throat> was an obvious source of that conflict because his brothers naturally hated him because father favored him. Now, I'm not going to ask out of you how many of your siblings sit there and say, uh, yeah, that would be so-and-so in our family, right? See, Jacob's favoritism of Joseph was plain to all, including his brothers. It was his outward display. Hey, son, I'm giving you the best robe, a beautiful robe. And it wasn't just that it was beautiful, many colors, but it really was a position of favor, princely standing and the birthright. In a very dramatic way, he was saying, son, you're going to get the birthright. You're not in the order for which it should be received, but you're going to get it because I'm giving this special robe to you. It was most likely the kind of robe that extended all the way down to the, the ankles and to the wrist, as opposed to the shorter sleeved ones and the shorter. It wasn't a working man's robe. It was a robe of royalty. And when daddy gives that to him, guess who the favorite is? Guess who everybody looks at now and says, hmm, I guess daddy loves him more. Now, I'm sure that families often look at each other that way, right? Mom always treated him better, or dad always treated her better, right? Now, if you're sitting here and saying, that never happened in our family, guess what? It's because you're the favorite, okay? <laughs> you never heard that because you're the favorite. That's why you never heard it, okay? Okay. Uh, that's what happens in my family. I've never heard that before, but my brothers always say, Rex, you're the favorite. You're the baby of the family. They treated you so much better. I'm thinking, no, because my brothers treated me mean. That's because mom and dad must have treated me better. I don't know about that. Um, I don't believe it, but we'll roll with it and say whatever. Okay, verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. <clears throat> One night, Joseph has this dream. He tells his brothers about it. They hated him more than ever. Okay, first they really hated him. Now they hate him even more. Look at verse 6. Listen to this dream. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and all your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Now the brothers understood perfectly the meaning of the dream. All these bundles in the field, one stands up, the others bow down. Joseph's like, hey, I was that bundle standing up. You guys were all the other bundles. Okay, I don't know how he said it. I don't know if he said it with a smile on his face, but they all got it. Oh, so you're going to have dominion over us. Gotcha. Now, at best, Joseph showed a great lack of tact here, okay? Surely he knew how much his brothers hated to hear this dream because it set him above them, right? But did Joseph really expect his brothers to get excited about this? Guys, what do you think of my dream? Was that awesome? High five. No? Okay. Um, what about, do you think that was good? Something to write about? What was he expecting? I mean, seriously, think about this. Sometimes we do this. We get so excited, so boastful about things going on in our lives. We're like, I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. Why is that? Well, it's exciting, isn't it? But do we think about it when we're sharing that with somebody who might be hurting or it's really against them? It might be exciting for you, but it might be really painful for somebody else. But it happens. Is that 
boastful? Is that pride? Maybe it's an insecurity. I just, I need to be loved right now, so I'm going to say this because it makes me feel good. I can't answer as to why. Maybe he wanted a pat on the back. I don't know. But guess what? He didn't get it. He didn't get the pat on the back. He didn't get it that maybe this was hurting his brothers. He didn't get that this was making them hate him even more. Look at verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again he told his brothers about it. Hey, listen, I had another dream. The sun, moon, and 11 stars, his brothers, bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as the brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Ooh, boy, now it's getting bad, right? Look at verse 11. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered, what does these dreams mean? So his dad in the back of his mind scolded him, but in the back of his mind he's sitting there going, but maybe there's something to these dreams. Maybe there's something going on here. I mean, if Joseph was unwise in telling the first dream, knowing how irritating it was to his brothers, what are you doing telling the second dream? Especially because it set him not only above his brothers, but it set him above his parents as well. It wasn't just, I'm going to be over all of you, brothers. But you too, Dad, Mom. Oh, really, Joseph? Did you have to share that one? Well, Joseph was wrong probably to tell his dreams, and they, they, but they certainly did come true. We know that, right? Here's the thing. We may receive a, a wonderful message from God. God may lay upon your heart something like, listen, this is something you need to know about. It's really good. But you don't have to share that with everybody. Maybe you've got something that's really special come along, God's laid upon you, or, or he's laid upon your heart. This is so true right now. But you know what? Maybe now is not the time to share it. In those moments, it'd be good for us to sit back and say, God, give me the discernment to know when to say this. You've laid something upon my heart, but when am I supposed to say this? And ask for that. Because we all at times step out and say things we shouldn't say at the wrong time. Been there, done that, right? The favoritism, the coat of many colors, the tattling continues to build tension to the point where something gives. And it does. Look at verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to the pasture of their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they'd gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready. I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then back, then bring, come back and bring me a report. So Joseph sent him on his way. I'm sorry, I'm getting Joseph and Jacob mixed up all over the place. Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Yeah, the man said. They moved from here, but I heard they went that way. Let's go on to Dothan. So brothers, Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan, and he found them there. Now, it's an interesting thing that where they were supposed to be pasturing their sheep really wasn't the place they were supposed to be. And then they actually then moved to another place which they really shouldn't have been. There seems nothing strange about that, Aaron, except when Shechem was really a place where the family was influenced by worldly influences. 
It was a place that was going to bring them down. It was a place of temptation. And the place where they moved to wasn't any better. Remember what I said at the beginning? Location, location, location. Sin is like that as well. I don't know if you ever noticed that most sin takes place in dark places, in dark locations. Not all sin can be avoided by changing location. We know that. But what we do know, we see a lot in the Bible, is that when you go to a place where there is sin, what do we read? Run, flee, turn around. God uses words to say, it's time for you to leave this spot where it's at right now because this is a place of temptation. It's a place of defeat. It's a place that is bringing you down. You need to move out of this location into the right location. Shechem was not the right location, neither was Dothan. The life of Samson, if you ever read the life of Samson in the book of Judges, you'll read that Samson always went down into Philistine territory to check out the women. You want to know why Samson was always falling? You want to know why Samson was always in trouble? Because he went into a place that he wasn't supposed to be, enemy territory. As a believer in Christ, we need to understand this is a good place to be. This is not a good place to be. Therefore, I'm not going to that place because it's not going to do anything but bring me down. It might influence me in the wrong direction. So check yourselves. If you're struggling with a certain sin, a certain thought, a certain process, say, God, maybe I shouldn't be in that situation. Help me to understand if I'm here for a reason to bring light or if I'm not supposed to be here because I'm struggling big time. Look at verse 18. Let's move on. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Can you imagine that? Sitting around with your brothers. Here comes Joseph. Hey, here comes the dreamer. Let's get rid of him. Who was the first to say that, you wonder? Who of all the brothers had such hatred and anger towards Joseph to bring up the thought of execution, of torture, of death? Verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. The cistern's like an empty well. We can tell our father a wild animal ate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They're still a little mad about that dream thing, aren't they? The bundle's going to stand up, but if we kill the bundle, nobody's going to stand up to that bundle, right? But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Hey, hey, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. He'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to come back and rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So they sarcastically call him the dreamer. They decided to defeat Joseph and his offending dreams by attacking him. You know, they're 60 miles now away from daddy's protection. And the brothers explode with evil. They strip Joseph of his coat, his beautiful coat, rip it off him, cast him into a pit, empty cistern. And they not only wanted to kill him, they plotted how to cover it all up. Hey, what do you think this will work? How about we plan this? We could say this and we could do this. You know, John 10, 10, we always refer to that verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And here these guys are, the brothers of Joseph, walking hand in hand with the devil, plotting evil to kill. Reuben, they were so thankful for Reuben there, 
took a small measure of leadership as the eldest, figured, you know what, I can save Joseph from his death and I'll come back and I'll rescue him later. But he seems like the great guy, right? But think about this. Reuben could have simply risen up and said, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. We should not do this. We can't do this. But he didn't stand up, did he? He didn't because he wanted to do right for Joseph, but he wanted to stay in good standings with his brothers. When you try to please everyone, guess what happens? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Let's look at verse 23. When Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him, threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward him. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aroma resin from Gilead to Egypt. Judas said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting them, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, right? His brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were from Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the cistern, sold him them for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took him to Egypt. He's wearing a special robe. He's just going to find his brothers. See what's going on with him. How you doing, brothers? They grab him. They rip his robe from him. The favor of his father has been removed. The brothers must have enjoyed that moment as they were jealous of him. And you think about what happens as they rip it from him. I doubt they beat him. We don't know. I know how my brothers took care of me whenever I beat him in Uno or Dutch Blitz. There was always a beating. I'd beat them, then they'd beat me. You know, it's just one of those things that that's what brothers do. You know, you beat them in basketball, then they sort of beat you up and because you beat them in basketball or vice versa. But as brothers in this moment, they're angry. We don't know if he was beaten or not, but we know this. They ripped the robe off him. They threw him down in a cistern. They tied him up. You know, the heartless character of these brothers was clear because it says, you know, here they are. Here's the pit. He's down in it. And they're off eating. They're just sitting around eating. They could sit down and enjoy food while their hearts were bent on murdering their brother. It's amazing what evil can do. An abandoned cistern, jagged rocks. The bottom of it may was maybe could have been a little moist, definitely dirty, definitely musty. And a 17-year-old boy lay on the bottom of that pit, tied up, bruised, stripped. And we think about how a 17-year-old must have been feeling at that moment. Curled up in a small, dark place. Overwhelmed with confusion, fear. Maybe his voice is hoarse from screaming out to his brothers. No. Why? Stop. What words was he using as he then maybe just laid there and shivered? Later in Genesis 42, 21, it's described the conviction of the sin that hit their brothers. As you fast forward, if you go there, it's the passage says this. The brother says this, We are truly 
guilty concerning our brother. Listen to this. For we saw the anguish of his soul. They saw it. But they sat around and ate. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded for help. We're not going to listen to it. You know, I'm sure we could uh, calculate the exact time required for the cries from a 25 yards away from a cistern to where they were eating. We probably could calculate how long it took to go the distance to hear that, right? But it took 22 years for that cry to go from the eardrums of his brothers to their hearts for them to break. Shocking demonstration of the human heart, isn't it? I don't know if you remember the story. I didn't until I looked up and read about it. 1995, Susan Smith deliberately drowned her own children, lied to the country that her kids had been kidnapped. I don't know if you remember that story. Um, we usually think of somebody who's committed such an act like that would be overwhelmed by remorse. You could see it on them. But in her ability, she put on this false face with such a horrific crime just goes to show us how deceitful our hearts can be. You know, that story is, is, you know, is just shocking and numbing when you think what happened to Joseph. But when you sit there and think about that, they also sold him. They made money off of him. Beat him, throw him down, plot to murder him, and then sell your brother off for money. And by the way, when they sold them, it wasn't like 20 pieces? Sure. No, they bartered. I want 50. We're only going to give you 10. How about 40? 15. 30? 16. Come on, he's worth much more than that. Let me see. And they probably pinched him and, and grabbed him and looked him over, checked him for fleas, treated him like an animal. Let's see how many teeth you have. 18. 25. Come on. He's worth more than that. 20, that's it. Sold. It's a bartering. He's a human being, but he was treated in such a shameful way. Tied to a rope, probably around his neck. Tied to a wagon, off to Egypt. Looking in the rearview mirror, dad, brothers, robe, Everything, his life is gone. You know, when Joseph woke up that morning, do you think he saw what was coming that day? Do you think when he woke up, he's like, whew, beautiful day to get thrown in a pit, right? Hey, I wonder what's going to happen to me. I wonder if my brother's going to get me today. I wonder what Egypt is like. Probably not even crossed his mind, right? Nothing he planned, nothing he expected. It caught Joseph off guard. Let me ask you this. What is your pit this morning? What is your pit this morning? What's caused you to feel like a 17-year-old that's been abused, abandoned, curled up in a dark place and say, why? Didn't see this coming, God. What is your pit this morning? What have you been tossed into? What have you been stripped of recently? Joseph lost everything. He lost his, his coat, his home, his family, his friends. He lost his credentials. He lost his vocation. 
all that. But he never gave up. All gone. Everything was gone. Except one thing. You know what Joseph had? You know what they couldn't take from him? I love this. Couldn't take his dream. They could not take his dream. God gave him a dream, right? God has this plan for Joseph. He has this destiny. He knows. He had two dreams that we, we know about that he stood and everybody else bowed. God says, I've got a place of honor for you, Joseph. This is my dream I'm giving to you. You can have a lot of things taken from you. You have people tell you you're no good. You have people try to take your dream from you, but they cannot do that because God's given you that dream. Cling to that dream. God has a destiny for that 17-year-old. Here's a 17-year-old with nothing but a dream that God gave him. God has a destiny for you. Believe it. Believe it. Pursue it. He understood that God's hands, he has something. And out of evil, eventually something good would come. Genesis 50, 20 says this. Joseph says this to his brothers many years later, 20 plus years later. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. I love how Joseph gets it. It took him a while. I'm sure when he was in that pit, he's going, that's ah, okay. God's got a plan for me. It's all good. He was probably thinking that somewhere in there, but I'm sure the pain was more overwhelming at that moment. But as he moved on, he didn't give up. See, God's love trumps out people's intentions every time because people may intentionally or unintentionally hurt us, but God's love always trumps and wins out because God's got a plan for us. God's got a destiny for us. Don't give up on that. Repeat after me. You'll get through this. Look at somebody around in this room and just look at them next to you. I don't care. Say it. Tell them. You'll get through this. Tell them. You know, sometimes we think depression's never going to leave. The yelling's never going to stop. The anger's never going to cease. The pain is never going to get out of here. And the load's never going to lighten, right? Feels that way sometimes, right? I remember a few years back before I had back surgery, uh, I, the pain was excessive. I remember laying on the ground not being able to get up. I remember not being able to sit without having pain. I remember thinking, can I ever play ball with my kids again? Can I ever sit in a chair without crying? When will the pain ever stop? You know, in the back of your mind, some of you have had physical problems before, whether it's knees or back or whatever it may be, headaches all the time. You sit there and say, when, God, when? When is this going to stop? And the relief after surgery, it felt so good. I was thinking, I, I never thought I'd have pain-free life. I, did, I thought I was always going to have it. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. Because a lot of times we sit there and say, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if this will ever stop. And in Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3, it says this. And I'll start in verse 1. But now, Israel, the Lord who created you, 
do not be afraid, for I've ransomed you. I've called you by my name. You're mine. Now listen to this. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Go back and look at verse 2. When you go through it, I'll be with you. When you go through it, you won't drown. When you go through it, you'll not be burned up. From the Lord your God, your Savior, I go with you through these things. You will get through it. Whatever pain it is, whatever pit you're in right now, you will get through it with God's help. For He is your Savior. And it won't be painless, right? Pain is inevitable. But pain wakens us up. Maybe it prepares us. Uh, maybe it brings us to a place of healing that we can never understand or explain. But it's definitely enjoyable when we get through it. But God is with us in our pain. We know this. His son suffered pain, experienced pain. So when we go to God and say, do you know what this feels like? He goes, yeah, I do. We have a God who understands. And we know it won't be quick sometimes. It took 20 years for Joseph to get through this. It took 120 years for Noah to build an ark and get through all that. It took 80 years for Moses to prepare for leadership. We live in such an instant fast food generation. Instant this, instant that, bring it now, it's fast, everything, right? You know? So we think, well, this situation will get through quick too, right? Not necessarily. It won't be quick. C.S. Lewis wrote this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience but he shouts in our pain. I was thinking about that. It's so true. When I'm having a good day, I think about God. Right? God said, wow, man, look at the clouds. We were driving to, to Finley yesterday, and a couple of kids with me, and we're driving, we look at the clouds, and there's a big cloud, and it sort of looked like a hand. And uh, then we're like, hey, look at, look at the hand. Yeah, look at the, the sun's right above. And it's like, hey, it looks like God's holding up the sun. Yeah, you know, and the, the kids are getting really creative, and they're just, and we said, yeah, we think about God, right? And life is good, right? God whispers in our pleasures, right? Speaks in our consciousness. But when we're in pain, oh, man, God's shouting, isn't he? Or maybe we're shouting to God. Living in the pit definitely stinks. But don't you think about this. When we live in the pit, guess where we got to look? Up, right? Living in the pit causes us to look upward. For us to sort of look up and say, God, you coming down? You going to help me out of here? Remember this. You are God's child. Repeat after me. I am God's child. John 15, 16 says this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that your Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. He's talking to the disciples, but if you read through the Scripture and the whole section there, he's talking about us as believers as well. God says, I chose you. You're my child. You know, before you had a friend or a job, before you had a, a position or a title or a grade or whatever it is that you have, whatever stage in life you are, guess what? God chose you. He picked you. He loves you. I got an email uh, not too long ago from uh, this pastoral association, 
And uh, they sent me this email. They said, hey, we'd like to know if you're available because we hear you speak at different places, camps and churches and so forth and so on. We have a baccalaureate service in our community for our seniors. We'd like to know if you would be our speaker. Would you be willing to do that? I said, so I replied back. I said, yes, thank you. Uh, as long as the date works, all that, sure. And uh, so then they replied back to me, hey, thank you, but we decided to go with somebody else and we'd like you to consider you for next year. Okay. So why did you contact me again? That you're calling me to come speak, but oh, I get it. I was second choice. Maybe third or fourth, I don't know. Um, okay. That doesn't happen with God and you, by the way. When he calls you up, he doesn't say, hey, what do you got going on? No, God says, no, I chose you. There is no second or third choice. I pick you. I pick you. He won't ask you to look at your calendar. God won't ask you for your credentials. What do you have? Prove to me that you're worthy enough. Show me the golden ticket. God's not going to ask for that either. He picks you. Here's the thing. You can lose things. You can lose your robe. You can lose some family. You can lose people you love. You can lose your job. But remember your destiny and your dream. You can't lose that. You cannot lose that because God gave that to you. Nobody can take that away. You're still God's child. You're chosen by Him. And this life is short in comparison to eternity. This will soon pass. Joseph was dumped in a pit, and we sit there and we get focused on that. And again, we have the rest of the story, but had we been living it in a moment, we would have said, what good is going to come out of this? I moved here 25 years ago, 1989. And when I moved here, I had a really serious relationship with this girl from Taylor University. Matter of fact, we went and picked out engagement rings. And at that point in time, I was living um, with another family from church here in Wauseon, and single guy, engaged, picked out ring, and I got a phone call. I'll never forget that night, but I got a phone call from my girlfriend telling me I took the ring back. We're done. Where did that come from? Didn't see it coming at all. I just moved here. I have no clue what Wasion is about. See, part of my hopes and dreams was that she would come with me and I wouldn't be alone. And this is where I would, you know, and I had all, you know, you have all these thoughts and gone. Never forget that moment. Never forget that pain. Okay? Was I down? Big time. Alone? Absolutely. It was the pits. But you know where I am now? I'm not going to say I'm in the palace, okay, but I'm married to a beautiful woman I love. And I got three incredible boys. At that moment, I was in the pits, not understanding God's plan for my life. I thought it was the end of the world. It's like, dude, it was just a girlfriend. No, okay. But when you're in that stage of life and bad things happen, it doesn't make sense. Now it does. Now I can look back and say, I'm so glad for that moment. I'm so glad for that pit. 
Because if I wouldn't have had that pit in my life, I wouldn't have Jenny in my life. And I wouldn't have my boys in my life. God is good. My circumstances changed, okay? But you know what? God's destiny for me did not. Same with you. Even in the midst of this, this horror in Joseph's life, I mean, this, this horror is just scary. It's ugly. It's evil. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. As we get into this, it's going to get worse. As we continue in the life of Joseph, it's going to get worse. But God is still with Joseph. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Now listen very carefully to this. As they're coming up, listen very carefully to this. If Joseph's brothers never sold him to the Midianites, Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt, he's never sold to Potiphar. If Joseph is never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. If Potter's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, well then he's never put in prison. If he never goes to prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. If he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh, he never interprets their dreams. If he never interprets their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And if he never interprets Pharaoh's dreams, then he never made prime minister. And if he's never made prime minister, then he never comes in to save the famine from this country and he brings his family back into Canaan and they perish from the famine. And this family never comes back and perishes from the famine. The Messiah can't come forth because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came from this family. You're sort of glad Joseph went to the pit? Amen? Amen. Without that pit, Jesus doesn't come through this family. We can't see the outcome of our destiny and dream. We can't. All we sometimes see is the, the bottom of the pit. What's that dream? What's that destiny that God gave you? Look upward. Don't give up. Look upward. He chose you. He's with you. You'll get through this. Pain is going to come. I understand it, but it won't last long. It won't last long. Your God loves you. Your God loves you. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Joseph. What's been written in history, what's been recorded, not a made-up story, but a recorded story for us the life of a 17-year-old who could have easily given up. He chose to look up. He didn't know how he was going to get through it, but with your strength, he did. And that gives us the inspiration and reminder that you are with us, that you will go with us through this. Uh, pain is inevitable but it doesn't last forever. Lord, some of us in this room right now are in the pit and our eyes have been down. We've forgotten to look up. Some of us have lost some very thing, things that are very close to us, people that are close to us, and we've forgotten that you still have a dream and a destiny for us. Someone in here might be feeling alone. God, remind them that you are there with them. Some of us feel like our dreams have been shattered because somebody's coming along telling us something that isn't true. God, remind us of the dream that you've placed in our hearts. 
that that dream doesn't change that you gave us in spite of what's going on around us. Lord, help us to get through this with your strength, with your help, with your love. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We sing a song to you now, Lord. It's our worship to you. In the name we pray.